You are listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk, and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. You are listening to episode 11, Am I Enough? of the Heart on Sleeve series. We are joined by birth workers Daniela Morales, Kelia Alder, and Brooke Patmore. This is part one of a two-part series where we dive into conversations that are typically reserved for behind closed doors. As some of y'all might have noticed, I took a three-month break from the podcast. In September, my partner and I suffered another miscarriage, and holy shit did that experience kick up a storm of past traumas. For the first two months, my body was a battlefield of somatic manifestations that I have never dealt with before. My anxiety was excruciating and disassociation was rampant as I could barely stay in my body. I was pissed and numb and the only things that brought me comfort was being outside and staying burrowed in the house with my love and fur babies. I was having flashbacks from our first miscarriage, blood pouring out of me and into the toilet. From an abortion I had almost a decade ago, being in the stirrups and hearing the noise of the DNC machine being turned on, and of a sexual assault that occurred in college. All of these experiences were swirling around, and it took all of my effort to keep showing up for myself and for my commitments. I had very little left to give. The last few months have humbled me in the deepest of ways. I've been reminded once again that healing is not linear, that being able to articulate our traumas in a practiced way does not save us from new wounding or the reopening of old wounds. That isolating, while it comes so natural to me, is not a healthy practice. And lastly, in a sandstorm of inner chaos, loved ones can provide the only sturdy thing to hold on to. I share all of this with you because this podcast is a manifestation of my dedication to birth work. Especially on a public platform, it is way more comfortable to share the aspects of myself that are most ironed out, just like it is way more comfortable to share the conversations that are most practiced and polished. But what about the conversations that are so vulnerable that it makes us cringe to think about sharing them in public? What about the conversations that reveal the most insecure aspects of ourselves? What about the conversations that reveal that we're works in progress and that we don't have the answers? Over the last few months, I feel like these were the only conversations I had. I was so deep in my shit that all I could do was reach out to others for support and inquiry into how they dealt with their own demons thus providing the inspiration to the Heart on Sleeve series. In this episode, I sit with three friends and colleagues and dive into the ugly voice that tells us that we aren't enough. 
that we aren't professional enough, that we aren't brown enough, that we aren't white enough, that we aren't femme enough, that we aren't educated enough, that we aren't enough, we aren't enough, we aren't enough. We touch upon themes such as racism, homophobia, classism, and more. We reveal the parts of our identity that can sometimes feel like barriers in this work. In short, we showed up bravely and wore our hearts on our sleeves. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about. So to start us off, please begin by introducing yourself, letting us know where your people are from and what are you doing these days. Daniela, will you start? Sure. Um, so my name is Daniela Morales. I am from San Francisco, born and raised, and my family is from Nicaragua. We have indigenous roots to Central America. Um, most of them are over here now in the Bay Area. I am a birth doula, postpartum doula. I am a mother. My son is 15 months old, and I'm a sister and cousin and tia and just a family-oriented Latina. Beautiful. Thanks. Um, my name is Brooke Patmore. I'm a birth and postpartum doula. I was born and raised here in the Bay Area. Um, and I don't know, my roots, my roots are not exciting. <laughs> European descent, I'm sure. Some Celtic in there. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. I like to get a little witchy with my Celtic roots, so that, yeah. I'm into that. But, yeah. I'm Kelia Alder. Um, I use she, her pronouns. And half of my family is of Chinese descent. Um, about two generations ago, they came over from China. And then the other half is European mix, mostly Danish as far as we know. And um, I'm a full-time, full-spectrum doula. So I do births and miscarriage support and mostly, mostly birth and postpartum constantly. <laughs> Thank you all for that. So a note to listeners, um, Daniela, Brooke, and I are all members of the same doula team, and you will hear us talk, or you will hear us reference our work as a team. And to tell you a little about it, um, we are a team of four birth doulas, and we work in what is structured like a doula agency. The woman who owns the group provides the preliminary contact with potential clients, and, of course, with the birth doulas getting involved, if that's what the clients want, which surprisingly or not surprisingly, I think for me, surprisingly, a lot of folks are actually totally fine signing up without, <laughs> without mm -hmm. having contact with birth doulas. But uh, that being said, once the client is signed up, then they're given a primary point, primary point of contact whom serves as their constant throughout the rest of their pregnancy. Any and all updates, questions, personalized attention, etc., is done by that primary point of contact, otherwise known as the PPOC. The rest of the doulas will meet the clients and establish rapport during their prenatal visits. And because different people act differently, some clients... Uh, reach out on their own to develop more rapport with the other doulas uh, individually and other clients are just fine with kind of like the bare bones interaction and basically, you know, just will take it as it comes. Um, 
And then the actual birth is covered by an on-call schedule that changes daily. This is kind of similar to how a lot of OBs practice, where there are 24-hour shifts. And these this 24-hour time period gives us, the birth doulas, a general shade of a schedule where we could expect to potentially be at a birth. Once at a birth, we last as long as we can. And if we need to be relieved, the next person on call will take our spot. And that will be one of the three other remaining team members. The client is already familiar with them. And uh, since we're all on a team, um, we're all transparent with our care of the clients. So even though the primary point of contact, again, is like the primary point of contact, the other team members know updates after every OB appointment. They know if there's a client who's having a strange rash on their belly. And it's a very, it's a very hive mind sort of thing. So um, there's a lot of pros and cons to this sort of approach. And you will certainly hear some of them later on in our discussion. But um, because this is a, is a more unusual style of team birth, birth working, uh, I just thought it important to describe that. So, Heart on Sleeve series. This idea came to me after needing a few months break. I um, had some shit going on in my personal life and needed some space to deal with that. And then, of course, it poured into my contemplation around birth work. And it's actually you all. I mean, Kelia, you're not on our birth team, but you are, you know, you are a friend. And it's with each of you individually and a lot together um, that the, our intensely vulnerable conversations help me get through it. And not only when I say through it, I'm not like, oh, I'm totally better. But I feel much more grounded in myself and also much more healthy and grounded in my birth work. Um, I think... A lot of times my initial reaction when, when life gets difficult is, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not happy enough. I'm conflicted. So how can I be supporting someone else in such an intimate journey when I'm struggling with my own intimate journey? And there's just so much instability. And I really want to thank you for being my friends, for being my community. Um, and that's when, so yeah, that, that's when I realized that I think it could be beneficial for a lot of folks out there to kind of get a glimpse of the behind the scenes, vulnerable, mm -hmm. intense stuff that happens between birth workers, you know, where we're not all polished and we don't all have the answers and we expose some of our woundedness. And I just thank you for being brave enough to show up and record things for strangers to listen to. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for having us, Ari. Thank you. Yeah. And all the work that you're doing, really. Mm. You're amazing. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So to ground us in this vulnerability, to ground us in this woundedness, I am not enough. I am not enough. I am not enough. I'm not enough. I am not fertile enough. I am not wise enough. I am not femme enough. I'm not professional enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not healed enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not likable enough. I'm not white enough. 
I'm not organized enough. I'm not Asian enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. So that was intense. I didn't like it. And you like it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard, especially knowing, especially those that are here. We've been working on our shit for a while. Mm -hmm. And we've been practicing all sorts of modalities to silence that voice in a variety of ways. And to say it out loud can feel almost like a betrayal of self. But the reason why I wanted to open up that way is because it's acknowledging that voice within us. And also it's acknowledging for so many folks the statement, the voice that gets in the way of them doing their work, that gets in the way of them connecting to their strength. So if any of that resonated with any of y'all out there, you're here with us. Mm -hmm. And we hold you. Brooke, Hmm. thank you for letting me pick on you first, but (laughs) what is this statement? What did that invocation bring up for you? Hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, as a non-binary, more mask-presenting person, I often feel like in this work that's so femme energy, so... Hmm. Um, about even the divine feminine or that mothering presence, um, that at least on the surface when clients or um, see me for the first time, they might not feel that I have that to offer. Or when I'm in spaces that are um, just of birth workers, I don't necessarily see myself represented. And, yeah, that's definitely something that comes up for me even just, like, viscerally um, when I'm I'm working with folks or meeting them for the first time. Um, I think I also, when I was really sitting with this question, um, what came up for me in a big way was I don't feel that I'm always healed enough to do this work. Um, I think when we're really working with clients one-on-one, we have a lot of information to give them, right? Like just the Mm -hmm. practical stuff around what to expect in the hospital or or what to expect in your body or what's going on medically or what's the next evidence-based thing to recommend um, or try to avoid. But really, above all that, the most important thing is about embodiment and bringing folks back to themselves um, because it's only like their intuition, their higher power, their internal strength that's going to navigate them through the process of birth and even parenting and beyond. Um, So I think I spent a lot of time um, talking about that with with the um, pregnant people I work with and I often don't feel that I myself, uh, you know, live my life as embodied as I want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I question my own intuition or there's there's times and spaces where I don't know if I can even trust my body. And then I find myself, you know, like, can I take my own advice? Um, Can I can I internalize the same things that I'm telling other people to do? Yeah. Thank you. There's something that you've mentioned 
off air when we were mm-hmm. talking about this conversation and um it's the how safety how mm-hmm. the concept of safety plays into this experience and it could literally be physical safety but it could also be the type of safety where you feel that you where we can feel like we can show up as our full selves and especially with how dynamic this work is right because mm-hmm. it is lit- yeah. all at the same time political and personal and mind body spirit it's very dynamic yeah. and as birth workers we pull on all aspects of ourselves and all aspects of our education and experience and so knowing that acknowledging how difficult it is to truly show up with our f- best self our full integrity our full power in spaces where we feel like we are in danger or like mm. as if somehow our identity or our being is is going to negatively impact others or as if it's our responsibility to fit into a certain mm-hmm. box so that they yeah. can again feel more comfortable um I can certainly go on, but (laughs) is that ringing a bell? Yeah, absolutely. I think like what you're referencing um, is there's been a couple of situations for me. You know, I'm very obviously queer, (laughs) um, you know, which is helpful in some ways that I don't have to come out over and over. um, And I recognize that. But in in some ways, I've been in situations and bursts um, where either I was backing someone up or volunteering or in our dynamic where, where I work now with with the agency, um, maybe I haven't had time to really build a relationship with the family before I'm actually showing up at the birth. And then I've gotten to the birth and their whole family's been there and it becomes apparent that they're very religious and feeling very uncomfortable with uh, myself, or at least that's my perception. And it's it's been a challenging thing to navigate because it's like a, a visceral thing where my body is like, freezing and um, I'm like I don't know how I can be uh, hold this space right now when I'm uncertain um, how comfortable they feel around me or about who I am and and what I can offer that they might even be open to me um, stepping into this really intimate place Mm -hmm. um, and time in their in their life and um, yeah so that's been that's been a (laughs) something to navigate and it comes up um, yeah so as you navigate this, because mm. you've been a birth worker for a while, and yeah. especially being in the Bay, I know that you've served a wide variety mm. of communities. Yeah. Um, what sort of practices or thought processes or actions have helped you yeah. navigate this? That's a good question. I think, um, you know, when that moment is happening and the anxiety, you're, you is rising so high that kind of your emotions and your body's taking over. Um, Just mindfulness work. Like even if I'm in the moment with a family that I'm feeling very uncomfortable around, um, maybe I can't leave, but I can stop and like just take some deep breaths and essentially bring myself back to my body. Um, And then really it's like talking myself through it. Like, hey, 
this may or may not be what they're actually thinking. <laughs> this may or may not be their perception of me. Um, either way, it's what I'm internalizing and what I'm experiencing. But I have to remind myself I am safe right now. I am okay right now. Maybe things that I've experienced in the past or trauma I've had in the past, like that's not actually happening right now. And I have to talk myself down and back into a space where I can be present. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about me. Um, and whether or not they have these ideals of me doesn't mean that I can't still be there for them and be present in this place and hold this space. Um, so, yeah, I would say mindfulness um, practices, just breath work, really simple, like not like leaving to go meditate for <laughs> 20 minutes, but literally in the moment, just taking five breaths and, and being conscious and aware um, and telling myself that that I am okay <laughs> and, and kind of reminding my body that like, you're okay, you're safe. Like it's going to be fine. Yeah. Or, or even occasionally leaving the space if the situation allows it. I've done so many yeah. runs to the bathroom with a quick pep yeah. talk, sometimes out loud yeah. to my face in the yeah. mirror. Yeah. And then you have that time to take those breaths and, yeah. and remind yourself of That's really every true. literally everything you're saying that yeah. hospital bathrooms can be yeah. a little shelter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and like wash my face, wake up a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing um, I forgot is probably one of the most helpful thing has been community. Being able to in the moment reach out to my team, reach out to the other doulas, uh, my friends um, has been life-saving for me <laughs> and just to know like to have someone else be like that's fucked up or like mm -hmm. um I don't know to just feeling like it, it doesn't change the circumstances but it certainly internally makes me feel like I'm not alone yeah and that's such a game changer thank yeah. you there's two things that you said uh kind of I just want to acknowledge is first off you described so beautifully the process or a process of active healing. Mm. I think one of the things, I mean, you mentioned, right? Like uh, the fear, the anxiety about not being healed enough. Mm. There are so many of us, whether, you know, especially queer folk, brown folk, black folk, there's, you know, or even just survivors of sexual assault. There's so many of us that have really deep trauma that we've been actively healing. And sometimes there's this, there's this, connotation that in order to do this work we have to have all of our like papers tidily stacked mm -hmm. we have to be completely healed as if it's a linear process as if there's like a checkbox yeah. list um and of course i do think that there needs to be a level of healing to have a solid foundation so that we can have this spaciousness to be able to mm -hmm. you know recognize yeah. our, our what you know what's going on with us personally recognize you know and still being able to connect with our intention and all that being said um, the power of community, and especially this is one of the reasons why I love being a team, is that, yeah, the example that you're referencing where come to find out they're Jehovah's Witness. Um, and Brooke got called in. And, yeah, there was a, a, a surprise culture that none of us had mm -hmm. experienced. And um, one thing that I love, sorry, just real quick, is that one thing that I love is that yeah, we were able to help be there for you in, in texts and calls if you need it, but also to know that if there was someone in that family that would have said something over or would have said anything to make you feel unsafe or even uncomfortable, even if you're like, I don't even want to deal with this shit, 
it was important for me that you knew that you had a team of us behind yeah. you mm-hmm. who would relieve you at any moment. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And that was a very interesting set of circumstances yeah. that typically doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I just think that also is really important for community, for us yeah. to have each other's back. And so that we know that there never has to be a time where we have to compromise our feelings of safety, yeah. true safety, yeah. for the sake of just, you know, staying at the birth. Yeah. And I do want to note that I, I genuinely respect and honor people's religions and religious practices. I think for me, I grew up in a really fundamentalist evangelical home, and it was pretty damaging for me. And I know the narrative around my identity that was that was spoken and told. And so, like I was saying, this may or may not have been what they were actually thinking, but because of my past trauma around that, it elicited this very visceral response for me. And it's it's happened to me in other cases as well. Um, but yeah, part of that circumstances was <laughs> they were headed to have a surgery and the mother of the birthing person just looked me up and down and was like, are you going to be in the the surgery with them. And I leaned over and I was like, oh, no, no, I, I'm, they won't allow me in the room. And she just said, oh, good. <laughs> and then she Gosh. would like not talk to me. Um, you know, I eventually won her over and it was fine. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. Right, no. <laughs> you get but yeah, it was just really, it was really oh. intense in the moment. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't know how to nap. Because now I have to go sit with you for two hours while mm-hmm. this surgery is taking place <laughs> and try to like, hold space for you and the family like that's a part of my job uh, and the answer questions so yeah it was interesting that particular situation yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you yeah and thank you for being there for me ah, my pleasure. <laughs> okay taking a few deep breaths because that was invoking feelings i was mm. feeling you were totally in that situation you were just wonderful and calm and again intentional and i was all like Mama, like, yeah. what do you need? <laughs> exactly. Do you need me to come again? Do you bring you a sandwich? I'm going to come right now. <laughs> sandwich solves everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Kelia, mm. I know. <laughs> how are you feeling with all this? What, is this? what does this bring up for you? What sort of. I mean, I'm resonating with everything that everyone's saying. I I just feel like any time you show up and meet with a family for the first time, or whether it's especially at those like meet the doula mm-hmm. events where it's like a dozen couples and a yeah. dozen birth supporters, it any time a birth worker diverges from that, what people expect us to look like, especially or sound like, if your voice is lower or if you're not basically if you're not like a middle aged, white, cisgendered um, older hippie, mm-hmm. then you like, they kind of look at you mm-hmm. twice. And, you know, so all of my own insecurities are brought up when we were doing that activity earlier. Like I could have gone on for an hour and just kept on listening. Yeah. I'm, for some reason, I'm like a foot taller than like most <laughs> <laughs> when I go to those things. So already I'm like standing out mm-hmm. or like I used to practice in Boston where uh, right now we're in the East Bay, but it's the, the birth scene is much wider there. And mm-hmm. it was, um, I mean, most people of color families kind of make a beeline for you, but <laughs> otherwise you like there are even the people looking for birth support are majority yeah. white. So anytime you're different from that, it's so easy to get caught up in like, there's no way they're going to hire me. Yeah. And of course, when they do, it makes it that much more 
special to be like, I am worthy. I do know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I am like a professional who they're picking me for me, not mm. because I have the like 50 years of experience or I have the dream catcher earrings that all these older white women are wearing. Um, I feel like that especially, or like the feathers, whatever. Anyway, it's like so many problems with that, but I'm not going to get into it. I also find like another angle to this not being enough for me has been um, not being like a good enough birth support. So mm. I, I, I know that sometimes you land with a client who kind of expects a doula to be their fix all. Mm. So like somehow, like I don't have to go to childbirth classes or... I don't have to read a book or do any work with my partner or be introspective about this process at all. Like, you're going to be the fix and give me exactly the birth that I want. And I feel like that leaks into my brain. Or I just generate it myself of, like, I have to read all of the books and I have to talk with all the doulas and, like, have all the mentors because what if something goes differently? Um and I could have done something to prevent it. Like so many times I've left a birth and then found out about another position that could have helped with that problem. And then like, ugh, like yeah. her extra pain, her discomfort, her or whatever pronouns they use, like th- their experience is my fault. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's it's actually pretty big headed to think that I can control mm. every birth outcome. Um, and it, the irony, of course, is that we're always telling our parents you can't control what's happening. Mm. Like there are pieces that you can and you can set your intention and that is really valuable and makes a big difference. But we are also like approaching this process with openness. And yet I, I don't apply that to myself. And I do mm. stay awake mm. at night being like, why didn't I do? Like yeah. maybe if Ari was there or if Brooke was there, if Daniela was there, mm-hmm. things would have been better. And mm-hmm. I just, I totally let this family down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, then same conclusion that Brooke was drawing earlier, that having that community to call someone and have them speak the truth yeah. into your phone yeah. of like, you did everything you could yeah. in that in that place, you know, with what you had. And of course, yeah, like continued education is valuable, but to just have the reminder of like, you did make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then typically that's the first postpartum visit. What they're saying is I can't imagine going through it without you and all those really affirming things. You're like, okay. I wasn't the useless <laughs> piece of shit that I thought I was, you know? Yeah. Just like, sure, I held your hand or whatever. I, like, I yeah. can reason my way through it. Yes, I squeezed your hips for 50 hours or whatever. <laughs> oh, um, that's my personal yes. record. Yeah. That's <laughs> I like, didn't use I my arms for a month. I got the muscle spasms to prove it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, also, as one tall girl speaking to another tall mm-hmm. girl, it's a lot. To, <laughs> it's yes. like to be in like a deep-ass squat. Because, yes. yeah, most people are much smaller mm-hmm. in height, and that's, mm-hmm. that's legit. I also just want to pause and just acknowledge something, too, is, um, you know, it, the opening reference you made about the Meet the Doula events, it, it brings up this dynamic that has only been within recent decades, which is the professionalization mm-hmm. of birth work, mm-hmm. right? And when I finished my birth training, I was all like, I want to do this, and I'm like, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, like, I don't have a website. I don't have business mm-hmm. cards. Like, I need to come up with an original, awesome business name that, like, reflects my soul. And then it's like, <laughs> like oh, I don't even have any neck scarves. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, like. What is it with the neck scarves? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know. <laughs> and all these. And then also, you know, thinking, too, about, like, oh, all my stretchy clothes are yoga clothes. And that's too sexual. But then I have to, like, appeal right. femme. So it can't right. be, like, bulky. Yeah. So there's all these things that come up. And then. <sighs> And so therefore, also, when you look online, 
you see the people with the beautiful websites who are also, and I, I've said this before, but it's so true, especially in the Bay, where like suddenly you see people and they're like part-time Instagram models and like blog writers <laughs> and like nutritionists and herbalists. And they're also full-time birth workers and they're like experts at everything. And you're just mm-hmm. like... I just want to say nice things to people in the bathroom. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, and so it can be hard to even know where to begin. Yeah. And then to find out that there are some people that are like, oh, I have a full on like three inch, three, uh, three inches, three ring binder packet that I give people during the interview so that it's like has my resume and it has some oh sample word. positions. Oh my God. And I'm just like, that's so many trees. It yeah. is so many trees, and so it's like also yeah. money. Yeah, and then also it it it's the it's the commodification. It's the yeah. capital. It's like the the, mm. the capitalism. It's in mm. and also it's this weird like I'm worthy. See because see my beautifully printed mm. business cards on shiny paper that's slightly scented. You know, yeah. it's like and and then. And even as someone who I've been in the wellness world for a while before going to, into birth world, so I knew better. I knew that like true quality care is holistic and it's incredibly individualized mm. and that can't be represented by fancy binders and fancy materials. Like even though I knew better, when it came to the professionalization, I felt this like expectation, this need, like I must not be legit enough because mm. I don't have the three ring binder mm-hmm. um, or I don't have like the free mini essential oil kit to <laughs> offer. Like, mm-hmm. um, And so I just wanted to name that because I think that is very real for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And that very much plays into that experience of like, I'm not enough. Yeah. And also one more thing too. Sorry. With yeah. the whole, I'm <laughs> Go for one it. disclaimer. I had a deliciously large caffeinated beverage <laughs> for today so sorry no, sorry not sorry um but the other thing too is this like with capital with um with capitalism there's this like uh entitlement that's like oh i'm gonna pay you so then therefore you're required to be the one expert in my life mm-hmm. and you're required to make sure that my birth experience is yeah. xyz yeah. which as we all know is Totally not. It's like hiring a fitness trainer and being like, okay, so you're going to work out for me. You're going to be literally moving my muscles. And if I don't get the definition I anticipated by X number of times, like it's just because you're a bad trainer. Yeah. Yeah. It also just plays in, though, to how especially folks that were socialized as femme, they've been socialized. We've been socialized to give away our power constantly. Not make our decisions. Exactly. And also folks of color. And anyone that's basically not a white man. Mm -hmm. Sorry, proceed. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's we we say like, oh, they expect they have these expectations of us. um, But it's hard. Like culturally, they've been taught to. They've been taught to give give their power away to the doctor, to the midwife, to the OB, that that all these external voices are what needs to guide them through this process. And then we become a part of that. And that for me personally, is one of the biggest things I try to mitigate Yes, and try to, like I was saying before, like draw people back to themselves. Like what does it actually look like if we quiet the voices of the midwives, of of myself, of the other doulas, of your friends' birth stories, of like all these things and come back and what comes up for you in Mm -hmm. this moment? What do you feel like Mm -hmm. is resonating? What should you, like what does your inner source say? You know, because that's the truth, and and it's all there within within you. 
There's no one that's gonna birth this baby except yes. you. Yes, yeah. like we're all here to help you. Yeah, but you're like well, I can't do it. Eric can't do it. Keila can't do it. Brooke can't do it. You really gotta dig deep. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I like, often say like, um, birth is not a team sport. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, but it kind of okay, right. Well, it's like okay. we all help. Like, yeah, we're yeah. all important pieces. But it really yeah. is them. And like, what? Yeah. Going off what you said, like, what's any better about a doula if they're just treating the birthing person yeah. as an OB would? You know, I right. think yeah. you should not get the epidural. I think yeah. you should just really do things my way. You got to get up and walk Absolutely. laps, and yeah. that person is still there being told exactly what to do, Absolutely. and not. Yeah, no, I feel so. It happens all the time. I've had clients literally in the moment of like their baby is crowning, look at me. The doctor wants to give them an uh, episiotomy, and they look at me and ask me what they should do. And I, I have to say, I can't. I can't make that decision yeah, for you. I can only give matter. you the information around that. And, um, mm. yeah, that's it's a really hard thing to navigate. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like, I don't want them to think about me when they think about their birth story. Mm. I, I don't want to be – I want them to think about themselves and what the fuck they just did. Because yes. they're powerful and amazing. And yeah. they birthed this fucking baby and it was incredible. <laughs> or remember their partner, support through it, you know? Yeah. 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 One of my favorite duos said once, like, we have to try and work ourselves out of a job. Yes. <laughs> like, it's yeah. such a – you know. Yeah. 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 Or another really corny way of putting it is like, doulas don't fly in with their superhero capes on. They fly in and help you tighten your own. Yeah. Aww. That's so cute. <laughs> That's so cute. I read that somewhere. Nice. That's I would really credit cute. whoever came yeah. up with it, but I don't know who it was. I love that. So that was just a huge piece that we acknowledged. Um, <laughs> we digress. You, yes. Yeah. Um, going, yeah. I mean, going back to you, Kelia, like, yeah. can you speak, I guess, is there any any more? I mean, I know that's a big piece, right? A big narrative that's been challenging. Yeah. Um, is there any other larger narratives that you've been navigating in this work? Um, well, another side to it, along the lines of like, I'm not the one with the million letters after my name showing mm. all the cert- yoga certification, et cetera, um, and the hyper-professional side. Mm. Um, but I also, I, I... Um, have the most in common with a lot of like POC doula groups like that those that's like my crew and in those circles I often end up feeling not because what any one person is doing but I I end up wondering am I like woo woo enough Mm. like do I like I don't feel like an altar at every birth or I don't have one in my home and I, I honor all of these traditions and I love them and I get things out of all of them. But um, if we're like going around and, and talking about like the different birth kind of uh, the most ceremonial pieces of births that we've supported in, I don't have very many options to choose from. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's like the maybe I'm not making my clients' birth like ceremonial enough mm-hmm. or I'm not, you know, like um, which is just, yeah, there's there's so much there. I yeah, I feel like no matter what setting, especially somebody who's grown up identifying as femme, we're going to we're going to find really creative ways to <laughs> to to say that we're not enough. Yeah. So either either side. Where do you feel like that piece, right? That like I'm not spiritual enough, or like that expectation that in order for birth to be spiritual or ritual, that there has to be an altar in mm. there. Like, where do you think that comes from? I don't know. It might be just that um, those are often 
the types of births where the people involved are talking about the spirituality of birth, you mm-hmm. know, um, because I'll often like there are it, it is so intensely spiritual, whether the parents mm. n- have the words for it or not, mm. you know, um, like I, I, I find myself praying during a birth when I don't normally incorporate that into my life. Mm. And I don't really know exactly who I'm praying to, but it just kind of happens. Mm. And it feels really special in those hours in the middle of the night. And um, so maybe it's just that those, the people who have like, you know, maybe the more like hospitalized medical system births are not, that's not part of their conversation as much. I've even had clients say to me, um, during our prenatals, I'm like, are there specific wishes that you have any like cultural practices you want to work into this process? They'll be like so embarrassed. They're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe this sounds like really crazy, but I was kind of wondering if I could have like this item that means a lot to me or like I really want to talk about my great grandmother during my Mm. birth. I know it sounds insane. Like they're always qualifying it like Mm, that if they bring it up at all. But that's the good stuff. Yes, exactly. That's what we want. mm Mm-hmm. I'm like tripping over myself to be like, no, please, this is yeah. perfect. Like, let's please. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's kind of why it's just not as part of their vocabulary. I'm not used to talking about it. I also want to acknowledge here. Okay, at this point, I also realize that I feel kind of like the the person on the soapbox, being like, <laughs> and this is why this is political. But yeah. no. I know that because we had this beautiful conversation actually when we we're walking around a lake mm-hmm. and talking about. Um, the fact that we both serve uh, communities that are are birthing folks that are white families, and then also in relation to um, families of color, how we'll be like, all right, like mi gente, like these are my people, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, like let's make this into that beautiful altar, like let's like you know, mm-hmm. and then when we give space, like this, sorry, this particular is what we shared is that when we create space, if they say something. There's this apology. And then what this reminds me of, and this is what I want to acknowledge here, is that internalized oppression, colonialization, Mm -hmm. assimilation is very, very real. Mm -hmm. So even if families have like beautiful, rich traditions that are actively alive in their family, a lot of times they'll be um, had folks be apologetic about it as if it's like, you know, like aftercare. Right. Um, uh, had we served a few families that uh, their grandmothers or or you know their mothers the baby's grandmothers had this whole like postpartum plan with like all sorts of like Chinese medicine foods and herbs and of course we're familiar with them because we're in the bay and like it's very common but then the families would be like yeah I know it's kind of weird but like yeah that's the postpartum plan it's just my mom exactly. she just wants to do this thing yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like I'm like, and then there's like, yeah, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And like, are there any, um, yeah, are there any ancestors or photos or, you know, especially if there's like a statue in the house that is literally an altar, right? Mm-hmm. You know, be like, nudge, nudge, like, did you want to bring that? Mm. You know, and they'd be like, no, no, we're fine. You know, again, as if it's like, <laughs> that's just kind of like, yeah, like yeah. woo woo, that's like weird, that's less than. Yeah. And there's so much to acknowledge in the birth experience. Right. Like there's there's that connection to agency. There's a connection to to the family itself as it's building up. There's this connection to the unknown, literally the unknown, whether it be spirit or whether you acknowledge it, all these other ways that it's kind of like it's like you see this giant mountain of. Yeah. Of colonialization and internalized oppression. And it's like, God, I want to sit here and tell you about 
how that's not weird and your mother is wonderful and mm-hmm. the fact that you've showed interest in it is beautiful and it's like I want to go in there mm-hmm. but that's not the space if that's not where they want to yeah. go mm-hmm. yeah Ugh. yeah oh, absolutely so what do you do what do you guys do in that situation cold space for them to I, I sometimes it is listing different examples of like if you for example have a have a practice no matter how silly it is no matter how cheesy you might think it is like i name those things because mm-hmm. i know they're thinking it like please tell me and that you know birth will be you'll find i think that it will be spiritual whether you will it to or not yeah. so you know just being very frank with them about it mm-hmm. and i think like families figure that out like in the process right like in the prenatal visits and all the discussions beforehand, they're probably like, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> like, right? But then going through it and then living this postpartum life, they're like, oh, my God, give me all of that woo-woo-ness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. we need it. Women need it. Femmes need it. Like, birthing people need it. Like, you need to feel that you are loved, just not not from your, your child, your partner, but from, like, mm-hmm. multiple sources, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it's medicine, whether it's music or healing hands like mm-hmm. you just I guess you don't know that you need it until until you know mm. yeah. you know um, and so I think it's important for people in the birth community to continue offering yeah. um, this medicine to continue saying like hey like you might not know right now mm. but you go know <laughs> right like continue keep putting it out there because yeah. it's gonna come around it's gonna come mm. full circle and then they're going to be like, oh, well, Eri told me. And now she's like the best person ever. Right? She is, though. She is, though. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. You guys are silly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in yes. all the navigation yeah. of these narratives, what, uh, what practices or actions, what do you do to support yourself in mm. all this? Like, you mean like my post-birth ritual or in the moment anything when you're like in the Mm. moment and you're like i'm not professional enough or i'm i'm not like spiritual enough i want to you know like when you're feeling the eh what do you do oh my god i'm gonna cry i um, get it out girl (laughs) thank you my dad every time we used to leave the house okay sorry (laughs) every time we used to leave the house whether it was for school every morning or before we'd like go out to a bar in high school he would look at each of us and get real serious and say, remember who you are. Oh, my God. And (laughs) we would tease the shit out of him every single time, especially if it was like a bunch of my buddies over and we're all going out together and it's like 10 p.m. on a Saturday and he would still do this and he'd do it to them too. Mm, Do it to my friends. It was so embarrassing. But he, he wanted us to stay grounded. Like no matter what you see going on out there, like... You are, and sometimes he would make it longer with each of us. Like, you're a strong, independent woman. You're beautiful no matter what anyone says to you. And remember that I'm when I'm not there. I know. Oh, I'm start yeah. crying too. I know, right? Like, it's and beautiful. like, he was so, it was so corny, but it, like, it, it added up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would start doing that to myself mm-hmm. through college once I had left home. And I have a list of very specific things that I remind myself of. So, mm. like, for example, I have a history um, of having an eating disorder. So it's really important for me to remember, like, apples and peanut butter is my favorite snack. And I should always mm. eat that. Um, mm. It's, like, such a healthy snack. But, like, it, mm. it was really important for me to remember, like, it's okay to 
eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is Kelia's favorite food. Mm-hmm. Or like, I'm a dancer. Or I like the most Kelia things. I um, I love having long hair just because I like it blowing in the wind. It's <laughs> <That's> the only <laughs> reason I yes. have long hair. So I have like a list of like five to ten things where if it's like part of my man- mindfulness practice in the middle of a birth, if it's hard, or afterwards, I'll sometimes say these things out loud. Usually I'm writing them down um, or just thinking about them. Um, and then <laughs> I know we were thinking about getting into this more later, but my post-birth ritual is actually very specific. Um, I call my partner on my way home, partly to keep me awake and also <laughs> to tell him to heat up whatever food I'm craving because usually I'm starving. He will have that hot for me as soon as I walk in the door. I'll eat a shit ton. And then take a really long shower. I'll cry during the shower. <laughs> shower no matter is how a good sacred it was. space. Yes. You're so <laughs> safe and like letting it all go. Just like washing away the birth. Mm. Um, but I cry whether it was an incredible thing or a really hard thing or a mixture of both. I, I cry very easily in case you can't tell. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. I just, I never benefit from holding it back. I got to just yeah. let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watch an episode of Jane the Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how tired I am, I love that show. This is so good. It's great. Oh, I recommend it for all the duels out there. And then I sleep for like at least 12 hours. Even if it was like a two-hour birth, I'll still sleep mm. like forever. Yeah. So those ah, are my self-care. That is <laughs> amazing. That yeah. is amazing. That's such a good ritual. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Daniela. What does this bring up for you? Oh. What narratives are you navigating with in this realm? Yeah, so thinking about this question, um, what came up for me is that um, a little background. I My son is 15 months old. I had a traumatic birth experience. It was a planned home birth, um, ended up in C-section in the hospital. Wasn't at all what I had planned. Um, and it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I had postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, and I jumped back into birth work pretty quickly around like two months postpartum. I know it's wild. Um, We're shaking our heads. We are shaking our heads. Shame, shame, shame. (laughs) But I did it because of the postpartum and because Mm. uh, because of the depression, because of the anxiety, because of the trauma, and and what I realized really quickly was that what the fuck are you doing right like or what what the fuck am i doing like am i am i enough to be here right now mm-hmm. is my birth experience enough to help serve these people um when moms or birthing people would ask me like hey like okay like it's t- it's pushing time how do what what do i do how do i do this i'm like girl i don't know Right. Like in my head, I'm like, Daniela, like, how are you going to tell her how to push? Mm. And like I have years of experience as a doula and I've seen plenty of natural births and unmedicated births. And yes, I can give direction on how to push. But that voice should always Mm. like pop up inside and and just kind of check me like, hold on. Like, don't forget that trauma. Um, Mm. And so I would carry that into into birth work. And even like prenatal visits were pretty triggering for me where sometimes um, parents would say, like, well, the C-section is the last thing we want. Like, we don't want to go there, so how do we avoid that? And in the back of my head, I'd say, like, I would go to this place of, like, well, I didn't want a C-section either. Like, I, and, you know, and no one's, like, asking me, but that voice just keeps mm-hmm. coming up. And so my birth experience um, 
really came up in all of this. And I've done a lot of healing work around it, and I feel really grounded in speaking about it now. Um, but, you know, it just comes up every once in a while, and and then you can't avoid it. Like, I'm dealing with a traumatic birth in helping a birth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's no way of escaping it. Um, so it is really prevalent in all the births that I that I support but um I do and I have found like strength in it and wisdom and like softness around my experience but but it does take community to remind you like hey like you're fucking strong like you did all of that and you're still here like supporting other women in a way that you know not everybody can Mm. um and so it does take like other people to kind of like reel me back in from my thoughts and and get me grounded um but yeah Mm -hmm. that's what that's what comes up for me as a loved one who (laughs) cherishes you and just has really seen you evolve as a person, as a mother, but then also to see how you have evolved as a birth worker. Mm. Um, oh, feelings and I your know. big shiny eyes right now are gonna make <laughs> you cry too. Um, what has been, what has helped shift things or what has been the biggest help or what was it? I mean, you've been doing so much, yeah. but how? what brought this deepening? And this widening for you? Mm. You know, um, I'm going to get a little corny. And <laughs> Ari, like listening to your podcast mm. and just oh. talking to you. <laughs> You're here. It's, yeah. been, it's been really, <laughs> really amazing. Um, tapping into my own medicines and finding out what those are has been really helpful to me. And... I kind of like started on that path after listening to your podcast. And um, like now I go into births and I have like my Palo Santo in my in my pocket. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I am I am here. Like I am this little, right? I'm five two. I'm little, but I'm this strong Latina mm, and I'm here for yeah. all of it. Um and and I also I also did um some depth hip- hypnosis um with a beautiful woman out here in the east bay her name is kathy Wu. shout out shout out to kathy she's amazing um she also does childbirth ed classes and hypno birthing and all of that um but i did some classes or um, some sessions with her and it really brought me in touch to um the great mother and what that means for me and finding spiritual guides that help support me Mm. in this practice and in life right as a mother as a person like you just need all the help you can get um and so just tapping into those resources and those medicines that are outside of the system has been super super supportive to me um and just really grounding like I, like I have this in my body, mm. right? Like I hold this medicine inside me and I could take it with me wherever I go. Yeah. Um, that makes me feel mm. really strong in, wh- in the work that I'm doing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to interject really quick, Daniela, um, as, as being blessed to have been your partner and gotten to know you over this last year and really treasure you. Um, and I don't want to mitigate your experience in any way, 
but I also have seen powerfully how your trauma, how your healing has been really powerful medicine for the moms mm-hmm. you support as well. Mm-hmm. I have I've been born witness to um, clients that had said, you know, Daniela, right before I had to go into my cesarean and having Daniela there and say, hey, you know, this happened to me too and it's going to be okay, um, say that that was like a game changer for them. And, and what you carry and what you bring to the table in your own experience is so, I mean, in your own being, mm. <laughs> it really permeates. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's so good. It's all so good. Thanks. Thank you. On that Daniela Love bandwagon, (laughs) um, I have a very clear, vivid memory of uh, a spontaneous doula date with a bunch of us there on a lake in the East Bay, no one was on the beach, which is weird because it's, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something, so it felt really special. And that was around the first time that I, or I think actually the first time that I had shared with y'all that we had another miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, and I was really numb and very angry. And I think I just like just told Brooke, like you and Maureen, when then Daniela, you showed up, and Maureen was giving tarot readings, and you just like you're meeting most of the people for the first time and you just like (laughs) brought your magical basket of vegan treats and like laid out and it was your turn for your reading and so you just started sharing what you were going through and you started describing how how one of the struggles you've been having is trusting your body Mm. and truly believing in its potential and then the process of like returning to it about how like yoga has been feeling shitty because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be there and it betrayed you and like how slow movements while before it felt awesome now you just want to like go to a kickboxing class or something start punching someone in the face and not someone in the face something (laughs) in itself and or someone or someone (laughs) depending on the day and I was just so amazed that the dis- the reasons behind what you're saying was so different than my story, but you were describing to a T what was going mm. on. And for me, I had I had been struggling in like I've believed so firmly in the potential of of healing and of the the transformative power of the birth experience. And like even though I have never been a birthing person. Um, supporting people on their journey, I feel it within myself. And so after this last miscarriage, it brought up, um, because I had been sexually assaulted multiple times, there's there's this narrative that I can't trust myself, that mm-hmm. I can't trust my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, did that then have gone through another miscarriage where again, like I thought this was it. Yeah. You know, and I was like just really trusting my intuition when I started bleeding. And so this time around, it was like all the narratives all at once came up. Mm. And I was like, how do how can I even begin to talk to someone about trusting themselves when I don't fucking trust myself? Yes. And um, and also, I think like as a space holder for others, there is sometimes this like 
I, I feel like this pressure to be calm and to be like eloquently being able to describe my own pain if if it all is appropriate to share a story mm-hmm. and and I was kind of like there's no happy ending here yeah there's no bow tie right like right <laughs> and it was in that moment of hearing you describe your journey mm-hmm. and describe how like at that point you weren't in a space no. to believe at all but you're like I'm, I'm just showing up mm-hmm. I'm just showing up I'm going to burn this shit here. I'm going to move my body like this. Like, it sucks, but I'm just going to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, that's what I just, like, that's it. Like, that's where I need to be. I just need to continue showing up. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to keep doing it. And I think, I think, like, I think what you said about, like, there's no bow tie on the end of this story, right? It's so fucking true, right? Like, miscarriage, C-section, like, sexual assault, like, you just can't put a fucking, like, bow on it. You just can't. So you have to do the work. You have to do the work that's going to get you through to the next day to help the next client, to help serve you in whatever way. And and it's not easy, right? It's not fucking easy. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> And it's still okay. It's still okay. Yeah. It's still okay if your C-section story sucks. Because mm-hmm. it is, right? Yeah. Like, I, I've had a lot of situations with clients where they're on an epidural and there's time, right? There's just time to talk and whatever. And the question always comes up, oh, like your son, like, how was your birth? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bitch. and i would love to say like it was a beautiful experience and blah 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 blah, but it wasn't and i'm not gonna put a bow on it but what i found myself doing was making up stories and lying to help get them to the next place in their labor right Mm -hmm. like if they had been on an epidural for a while and things weren't progressing i'd say like hey you know like my birth was like that too like it took me a while to get from whatever Mm -hmm. to whatever and or if they're like i'm really concerned about pushing like how was your pushing like well you know pushing took a while but (laughs) you know it's still Mm -hmm. manageable and then like going home and i'm like why am i doing that Mm -hmm. like it, it it helped me get it helped me because like talking about my birth and addressing my birth was like really Mm. hard really hurtful I couldn't do it at that time Um, so lying about it and telling a different narrative was easier Mm. right and easier felt better than being pissed off so that's the direction that I went but you're right Ari like sometimes like in that space like you do you need to tell everybody everything like Mm. it's not our Mm -hmm. place like Maybe they need to hear it. Maybe they don't. But it's not their story. Exactly. And telling them is not going to put a bow on mm-hmm. on your story for you. When you said the epidural. Yeah. Oh, it was like, you knew. we yeah. all know. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. You were already nodding. We are all like, yeah. Yeah. it's like, yeah, those hours, especially middle of the night when like, you know, Papa or whoever else is there sleeping and they're just looking at you. They're mm-hmm. like, so, so, <laughs> you know, and you're like, it's a really intimate moment. Yeah. And so I appreciate what you just shared because I think sometimes in that moment, um, especially if I wasn't the PPOC, mm-hmm. right? Especially if, if I'm really deepening this acquaintance in the birth right. room, I'm suddenly very aware of like almost like the power dynamic, you know, where I know a lot about them, but they don't know much about me. Mm-hmm. So then when they ask the question, oh, do you have kids? And then I'm like, I always say, 
life for babies, but we're working on the human babies. And yeah. the, most folks assume I'm much younger than I am. Mm. So then their next question was, oh, it'll happen. It'll happen quickly. It'll mm. be great. And I'm just like, mm. and you know nothing that yeah. we've been trying for multiple years now. Right. And mm. like, or, or the, you know, and again, it's all in they're trying to be supportive. Right. Yeah. Um, and then they'd say something of, oh, it took us six months. Or, oh, like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, like IVF was. Just tried this. Exactly. Yeah. And again, it's like, I know their intention. Mm-hmm. And then part of me is like, I don't know if we can afford IVF. Mm-hmm. And also, to be honest with you, too, like the invasiveness of the procedure triggers a shit out of me in regards to bringing up my sexual assault. So, mm-hmm. like, yep. so currently, it's actually, I mean, it happened a few births ago, but in that moment, I'm like, you know, she's telling me her journey with IVF. I'm like, that's awesome. And then she starts to, like, put it on me. And then I'm like, and now I feel currently I'm dealing with the guilt of feeling like, am I going to be too wounded dealing with my sexual assault to, like, am I choosing my woundedness over mm. wanting a baby? And then feeling just like this, like, mm. you know, I was dealing with this guilt. Like, mm. I'm just selfish if Ugh. I don't choose to endure the freak out of, you know, so yeah. in that moment. So bringing it back. I just appreciate what you said because I think it is really important for us. This is boundaries. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. though there can be power dynamics in the room, also knowing that our stories are our stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that if I had, which actually since you and I have first talked about this, Daniela, mm-hmm. I have since like been working on like, you know, like a super smooth comment. Yeah. yeah. You know, <clears throat> being like, you know, like, yeah. so do you have kids? Yeah. I'd be like, well... You know, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we've been working on it. But before you ask, I'd prefer not to share my story because Mm -hmm. this is really about you. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know about, like, how did you guys meet? It's like. Yeah, totally. I think that comes back to um, us feeling safe and that we are allowed to feel safe Mm -hmm. where we are. Um, I know I remember talking to you guys a little bit about this and being like, yeah, man, like, you don't need to tell nobody yeah. nothing. Like, Brooke, was, Brooke kept it way real, was like, why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> but just I having... Like, oh, yeah. I no, that. I mean, like, I, it's so intense. Like, in that moment, you're trying to build the connection. You want you want it to be two-sided. Mm-hmm. But when is when is it appropriate, right? Like, right. And there there is instances where sharing your story is, like I said, that you've done is mm-hmm. like a really powerful mm-hmm. thing, but how you it's okay because in those moments, right, we're there for them mm-hmm. and right. we're, we're negating ourselves often, but it's important, I think, to not abandon ourselves and what we need um, yes. for our own safety because yes. otherwise we just, we're all just like dissociate yeah. and then <laughs> we yeah. have to like, deal with that later. Right. <laughs> like you don't want to have to turn off all your emotions or somebody, I don't remember who it was said, like, as support people, because we're naturally all like givers already. Yeah. This is like kind of what got us here. Then like doing this work, then you can just keep giving and give and erasing your experience, changing the version until mm-hmm. there's just like nothing left. Mm-hmm. Until you're just so bent on their yeah. needs. And afterwards, if you start feeling it again uh, to your to the am I enough thing, mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, I'm just not strong enough to be able to hold all of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. I should yeah. be I should be good at this by yeah. now. I shouldn't let the same uh, trauma come up again. Or totally. why do I still feel threatened by X Y Z? And mm-hmm. I mean, if it's so not your yeah. fault at all. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's so important to come back and figure out like what are the tools we need to implement for ourselves mm-hmm. to protect ourselves in these spaces. Like coming up with some one-liners, yeah, to like n- drive it back to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
So well done. Yeah, Thanks, that's team. a good line. See, and that's why I will disagree. Birth is a team sport. <laughs> <laughs> it's a team sport. Although there is one MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. MVP. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good. You're the real MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to close out this first section, uh, this is actually one of my, one of the things that I love to do, which is to use a mantra or a saying um, or meditation blessing, however you want to frame it. Um, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. I am woman enough. I am whole enough. I am present enough. I am loving enough. I am grounded enough. I am spiritual enough. Hmm. I'm enough. (laughs) I am doula enough. I am 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 enough. After our initial recording ended, Daniela started to share what she planned on doing to ground on her car ride home. Her grounding ritual was so fantastic that we asked if we could record to offer to y'all as a bonus feature. So my ritual to head into births is very grounding. It's hyphy music from the Bay, E-40, Tupac, Mac Dre, whatever it is. A lot of bass, a lot of, a lot of amazing lyrics, right? <laughs> but it's something that gets me amped and it's something that brings me back to my roots, my roots of living in the Bay Area, being a Latina, being a person of color, getting me amped, getting me ready for a birth holding space for myself and who I am and in, in being a, a brown woman. I'm high feet. Tell me when to go. 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 The music you heard on today's show is Pink by Janelle Monet and Tell Me When to Go. By E40. Deep gratitude to Daniela Morales, Kelia Alder, and Brooke Patmore for being our guests. Follow me on Instagram at Birth Bruja to continue the conversation. Tell me when to go. Talking on my getro on my way to the south. My second or third trip. Some henny, some swishers, and some listerine I've been your host, Eric Guajardo Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude. <laughs>